Welcome to the Crack the MBA show. My name is Nupur Gupta and I'm your host. Our guest today is Giri Kesavan who graduated from London Business School in 2021. Giri's current role post MBA is as a senior strategy manager for Sky Comcast covering product strategy for all OTT propositions. Giri completed his undergraduate degree in electronic engineering from Imperial College London where he secured first class honors. Prior to pursuing his MBA, Giri spent 5 years in product management and analysis at Deutsche Bank in London. At LBS, Giri was co-president of the Tech and Media Club and academic rep, and he also drove the agenda for tech at the school among a host of other responsibilities. Giri was also responsible for the tech treks to New York, Dublin, India, Africa, Silicon Valley. Some of these were virtual during COVID. Giri has held hundreds of conversations with aspiring MBA students and is a prodigal alumnus and a rock star for LBS. There is no way my introduction can do justice to all the things that Giri has done and continues to do. So why don't we in instead here from Giri. Welcome Giri and thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you very much. Great great to be here. Lovely. So Giri, to begin, can you tell our audience a fun fact about yourself? Sure. So, hi from sort of doing everything that I do for LBS and actual work. I love trekking, so one of my most sort of memorable New Year's experiences was actually going with a group of friends to summit Mount Kilimanjaro and I love the trekking, mountaineering and sort of climbing. So it's something that when I have a bit more time I really want to get back into after work. Wow, fantastic. I have no idea how you you take out time for that as well. It's <laughs> very peaceful, so it's quite nice. So I yeah. quite enjoy that type of yeah. time. Yeah, and you need that disconnection at times exactly. as well, right? Yeah. So you're getting right into it, right? So when did you decide to pursue your MBA and why? Was there like a moment of epiphany that led you down this path? Sure. So I wouldn't say that there was a very singular moment as such, but for me it was about sort of my previous role at Deutsche Bank where I had worked for sort of 5 years and I really sort of two elements. So firstly I felt very comfortable in my role. So when I went into work in the morning, I knew exactly what to do, how to solve problems, and I knew at the end of the day that I'd be able to do that. That for me was too much in my comfort zone to be honest. Because because I'm not intellectually sort of challenged on a daily sort of basis. So I really felt there was a point when actually my learning was sort of at a plateau. So I think that was sort of point 1. Second element that I kind of realized throughout sort of my career that sort of prompted me to think about an MBA. At DB I was very much into individual contribution. So when we typically, you know, people join companies out of like undergrad etc, they're given a task to do, you do it, you go back to your manager saying, "Hey, I've done this task." And if you're good at doing that task, you'll get promoted. Very very individual contribution. so i wanted to elevate that factor to be less focused on sort of individual contribution more focused on delivering through teams building up my sort of leadership capability and having a much broader view rather than a very insular view in one specific sort of sector and economy i kind of realized that sort of 3 to 4 years into my role at deutsche bank which is where i started planning with like well what is sort of the next step to get that broader business outlook and perspective and that really was sort of that mba path oh that's super helpful thanks giri and what process did you go through to discover what you really wanted to do post the MBA or what you wanted to use the MBA for because you talked about leadership teamwork Yeah. So is it at that point you knew that you wanted to get into technology or how did you figure that out? Yeah, sure. I think like for me I wasn't 100% sure as to what I wanted to do post MBA or post LBS, etc. So for me it was about trying to get experiences across multiple sectors. I knew I wanted to do something in like the tech space because of my engineering background. I worked in sort of product at Deutsche Bank, but elevate that with that sort of strategy type of lens. So I knew that that's what I kind of wanted to do. And then really my first process to sort of figuring that out was 
frankly, to immerse myself in sort of the MBA community. And it's something that I always tell sort of applicants to do, like pretend you're actually a student pretty much, attend all these events, et cetera, do you know, sample classes and, and really immerse yourself in that community. Because I actually felt that attending sort of, you know, the first LBS Open Dead I attended must have been 2017 even or 2018. So nearly a year and a half before I even applied. Actually, even just attending those events, even completely outside of the actual application cycle where I would have applied, actually opened my eyes and saying this type of pivot is possible. These are the types of things I could do using the MBA. That sort of process quite useful. And especially in the context of sort of LBS, where it's not really a transactional school. It's not a means to an end, right? Where the school was all about that personal and professional journey. So actually immersing myself in that, even as a prospective student, actually helped me answer some of those questions such as, well, okay, why do I actually even want to do an MBA? Understood. That's really helpful, Giri. So what you're basically advising is that candidates attend as many events as they can, explore the paths to figure out what they could possibly yeah. do. And, and actually, I'd also say like attend events without that, oh, I must apply agenda. And I found that really useful. So, you know, I attended the MBA Open Day in 2017. I knew I wasn't even going to apply to LBS for like years. However, I still found it quite useful to attend the event with zero pressure. It's not like, oh, I was literally hanging on to every word David Simpson was saying on like the GMAT, etc. because it was irrelevant at the time. It was more about exploration. So actually sometimes attending events where there's no agenda is that is actually really, really useful because you're less focused on, oh, how can I get in to more focused on this might be quite interesting and cool. Like how did what was, was said in the event actually spark my own thinking? And so slight shift of mindset, I think is really, really important. Okay, that's super helpful. And I don't think people think of it this way. So certainly a very helpful tip. And Giri, what attracted you to LBS? Now, I guess we know that you were living in London as well at that point. So was it a foregone conclusion for you that you would only be in London? Or were there other aspects because of LBS, it was regardless? Sure. I think like, you know, firstly, my undergrad was from Imperial. So I knew firsthand how useful it was to have the opportunities of London at your doorstep in terms of the huge mix of cultures, that sort of melting pot, not only in terms of industry, but also socially as well to build that sort of broader network on a global scale using London as, as sort of a platform. However, like for me, LBS, really the fundamental reason why I chose LBS was frankly, it was a place where I knew I could create impact. And just to sort of explore that a bit, many schools had a very prescribed MBA programs. You go in and they're like, okay, this is what you will do in term one, term two, term three. LBS was very vague and broad. You can literally do anything. <laughs> the school gives you a platform rather than tells you what to do. I thought that was very nuanced. That was really exciting for me because I knew that this was somewhere I could come in, I could create impact on the school, take part in that sort of learning journey myself and leave a lasting legacy. Thankfully, it's been validated, which is good. I really think that sort of culture of the school really like spoke to me where that trust between sort of students, the staff felt much more like a partnership rather than, oh, here's the institution giving you your degree and, uh, you know, we are gatekeepers and you have to apply to us. It was more about how can we sort of help you achieve the best that you can by working together over sort of 21 months of the program. That culture really spoke out to me. And I always felt that anyone I talked to from sort of current students at the time to sort of alumni were very collaborative and not competitive. And I think that was also very key. And that's something that I've seen firsthand at LBS as well. Yes, it is a top school that people are very ambitious, etc. But even if we're all applying for literally like the same role, we will still do interview prep together. And I remember like one of my 
my best friends and I were in the second round for an American Express interview and we literally the previous night did hours and hours of interview prep together even though we knew that the day after we're literally quote competing against each other that culture I think really sort of drew me to the school for sure yeah that's really helpful and Giri once you decided to apply what were the actions that you took and how long did you spend on each component of the application be it tests essays networking and the application itself sure so I applied in 2018 so sort of 2019 start uh, in August so I was actually doing round two so I applied in January 2019 to so kind of work backwards from that so the first thing I wanted to do you know I, I kind of knew that I wanted to do an MBA sort of the year before earlier in the year before for sort of the reasons that we talked about in my sort of professional career so that was around like January sort of 2018 so I had like that six months till that round one sort of phase the first sort of step that I did frankly was to book the GMAT test to make sure that that was there and there was a specific sort of target date for that I wish that was very useful rather than saying let me try and do revision and then let me just take the test quote when I'm ready I always found it better to set a date and then work backwards from that personally. how long did you give yourself to prepare I gave myself GMAT? about two and a half months but what actually happened at the end is I actually end up applying in round two because I wasn't quite ready with the GMAT frankly because it's hard right like and, and I think it's very very hard for people to sort of emphasize with that unless you're in the process you do sort of 12 14 hour days as we do in sort of banking you come home the last thing you want to do on your mind is frankly sentence correction right it takes a lot of effort to you know mentally sort of prepare yourself sort of for that but I gave myself sort of two and a half months for that and then in parallel really like the key phrase for me was immersion so for example like I also applied to schools in sort of the US so I took some time off in around sort of March April and combined sort of a business trip to New York with visits to sort of NYU Stern Columbia the two main other schools that I knew I really really wanted apply to there as well it was doing that as well as continuous GMAT prep and one thing that I was very clear is that I didn't want to make a rushed application so one of the first things that I actually did to get a gauge of what the application would entail and I say this you know to current applicants as well even if you're not applying in the round create a login and actually like download the application anyway so that you can actually see the question so the very first thing I did for LBS I downloaded the application I could see all sort of the questions one of the things that we very quickly realized with LBS is that the essays are a tiny piece of the overall puzzle because there's a huge amount of very introspective short answer in quotes questions which aren't really short they're like 400 words so the first thing I did was to put bullet point examples of how I would answer that in a few months just to sort of mentally in my mind say like okay this is kind of how it's looking this is kind of how the structure is looking and actually that gave me a very good gauge straight away as to the areas of the application that were stronger and weaker straight away without having to go through that whole process of actually writing essays I found that very very important and I did that same thing with all the schools that I applied to over summer and then realized that R1 wasn't quite the right time because I was just about to get promoted. I wanted to make sure that this was almost a one-shot type application to apply when I was actually ready. So waited and then applied in, in round two, which was obviously like January uh, yeah, 2019. One, one question there, Giri. Sure. This is really helpful. The best tip ever, which you just gave, right? About creating the login and getting a sense for what questions are yeah. out there. So I hear that you did round two. So yeah. one question that I always get is round one versus round two, A, the odds are low. 
lower B chances of scholarships are lower as well. So what's your take on that? Yeah, so I'll kind of answer this from sort of suddenly an LBS angle. As David Simpson and I always discuss, like if odds were lower in round two, why would we waste all this time doing a round two, frankly? Like why would I talk to all these silicon to have a huge effort into round two? So frankly, like I kind of shut out the noise around all of that. And I knew that actually applying when I was ready was really, really key. Having been through that process now, it's I think a key sort of element to consider for folks applying. Pretend you apply in round one, it's really rushed, you get declined. You're not going to be able to apply in round two. You're even going to struggle to apply next year because what will be asked is, hey, what's the delta between the application, right? Between literally six months ago and now. So I was quite scared of that. So I was like, no, actually, I want to wait and just do it once only and then make sure that this is the best it can possibly be without making sort of a rushed application. Because I don't think in an MBA you can really make any rushed applications or like, quote, speculative applications. I don't think, frankly, there's any point because there's just too many candidates who will take it seriously that it likely won't sort of work out. So for me, like, I didn't really think too much about sort of my chances and so on and kind of shut out a lot of that noise as well. So made sure that I applied when I was ready. That's what I'd say to sort of folks as well because there'll be opportunities at every round. Yeah, that's super helpful. And Giri, in terms of taking the GMAT or the GRE multiple times, right? Like many candidates end up doing that and sometimes yeah. they're worried that that's going to reflect negatively. So do you have any thoughts on that? So I think the interesting thing with suddenly the GMAT is to really like play to your strengths in terms of the test taking strategy, right? So for example, that in the GMAT, you can take the score, you can cancel the score, or you can see how you did. So I kind of treated my first attempt at the GMAT, which is like over the summer before round one as like almost a diagnostic. It's hard. Like I've done proper exams in four, five years. So suddenly go from that to sitting exam hall, you know, there for four hours, like it's a long exam. It needs stamina. I know it's a bit shorter like these days, but still it's like significantly long. So I use that first attempt at the GMAT as a diagnostic. So I didn't actually use the score. I canceled score, but I knew this is how to do the exam, to get into that mode. For me, it was actually really important to get into the mode of doing exams again. That for me itself was like actually quite a big step because I just hadn't done it for a long, long period of time. And then that really taught me like how to actually prepare, how to balance my preparation, which topics were key. And then the second attempt, it was sort of much better as a result and much more focused. But I was actually very clear that I wouldn't retake the GMAT after that, which is really interesting. LBS even asked the question saying, would you retake the GMAT if admissions asked you? And I answered, no, <laughs> didn't want to do this. But the main reason that I think, and I talked to loads of applicants about, oh, should I retake the GMAT if I got the lower than expected score? If you feel in your mind that you've done the best you could and spending all that time would only improve your score by like five to 10 points, there's really no point, right? Like your time is much better invested, immersing yourself in the community, building, drafting your essays, etc., getting to know sort of the school. And it's frankly like prioritization and time management. So actually, when I speak to applicants and they're like, oh, you know, I have a really high GMAT score, but should I retake to increase my chances? It's like, well, to, it's up to you, right? If you feel that actually you can get like 40 to 50 points higher because you know in your mind that you didn't do as well as you could, absolutely do it. But if you feel that you're just trying to do it for the sake of it in hoping that you're getting a better score, actually that's fairly unlikely to work out and your time is better spent in other areas of sort of the application. So I kind of went in with that mentality, got a score and then it's like, no, you know what, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> and then really shifted my focus towards the other areas of the application in sort of that November, December timeframe in the lead up to Jan R2. Super helpful. And Giri, I've always wondered about that question, right? Where the application asks, would you be willing to retake the GMAT? So yeah. are there instances 
is where people are asked to retake the GMAT or there are conditional acceptances? I mean, to be honest, it really depends on sort of a case by case basis. When we're thinking about the GMAT, always remember that it is an important data point, but it is only one data point, right? So actually, your GMAT score is not like the be all and end all. There are other ways to demonstrate your quantitative ability or verbal skills as well. So rather than sort of worrying about like, should I answer yes or no to that question? Again, look to see like what I was saying before. It's like, do I think I can get a significantly better score than this? If the answer is no, no. But you can demonstrate through huge amount of short answer questions and, and then obviously like the primary and even the optional essay as to your other areas which demonstrate your sort of quant skills and verbal skills. Um, I would say, you know, the, the question is asked for a reason. So if you say yes and the school asks you to redo it, I mean, don't be, don't be frightened or surprised. You answered yes. So I, like this is why I knew in my mind if the school said yes, I would not be happy. So I was like, that's it. I'm done with this exam. Yeah, no, that's a great yeah. point. And between the GRE and the GMAT, is there a preference? Uh, generally not. I mean, less students in general do the GRE. What I actually did was I took a diagnostic test in both and then actually found that the GMAT I found naturally came to me a bit more because engineering background, I found the quant like fairly straightforward for us. So it was easy. So depending on sort of your background, always suggest doing diagnostic tests in both, seeing where your strengths lie and then using the test that demonstrate you know, your strength, right? So there'll be less people doing the GRE typically who apply because most people typically take the GMAT, but that doesn't mean that obviously you can't take the GRE. It's not going to hinder your application because again, it's a data point. It, it's a marker of your quantitative and qualitative ability that is just happens to be done by a different testing company. So it's essentially equivalent. Oh, yeah, that's a great tip. I haven't heard that one before to take diagnostic tests in both. Wonderful. And uh, all right, so Giri, once you were done with the tests, then how did you approach your essays? It's really interesting, actually, the way I wrote my LBS essay, and I'll never forget it. So the essays are very introspective, and the LBS application is very introspective. So you have to really think. You've got to answer questions such as, like, who did you discuss your MBA with? And, like, your friends, what did they think? It's like, whoa, that's a bit weird. Even sort of the primary essay, obviously, is, is fairly open-ended. I actually made sure that I was in a very different environment to what I was used to before when, when sort of drafting the application, because I was like, this thing isn't really going to be done that easily, like for me personally, creatively, to think about my life and think introspectively. If I'm just like coming home from work and working on this for like 10 minutes a day, frankly, it, like, and obviously everyone's different, but for me, that really did not make sense. So actually, I took some time off work towards sort of November in 2018, so in the run up, uh, obviously, to Jan uh, round two. And I did a solo trip around Southeast Asia. So I actually went to Taiwan, I went to Cambodia, I went to Vietnam, and literally my LBS essay was done in a cafe in Taipei, eating some great food with chopsticks outside, outside Taipei 101. There's like a beautiful like square. And that sounds strange, but it's just you're so distanced from your day-to-day -day environment that you start thinking about things in a different way. And we talk about sort of LBS and the MBA giving you different perspectives, put yourself in a position where you're forced to have a different perspective. And that for me, like really inspired me almost to write some of those essays because it was just so distant from like the day-to-day. -day. So I was actually able to take a step back, reflect, 
be introspective, be authentic, and craft those great sort of stories in the essay that really showcased who I was like personally and professionally. So, so yeah, essay one was done outside Taipei 101. The essay two was done just outside Angkor Wat in, uh, <laughs> so in Cambodia. Whatever gets you out of your comfort zone and gives you a different perspective, really think about where you're writing that essay and give yourself time. I really knew that this whole idea of, oh, just working on a piecemeal in between work like for me wouldn't work so i made sure i had the time off to properly like focus on that love it i haven't heard that one before it's a brilliant idea and how long did you take off Gary? so i had essentially 10 days off and then it was christmas anyway so i had that period of time it's a great time to work on sort of the applications um over christmas in round two the one thing i'd always say in round two was you know while i was crushing my essays i was also making sure my supervisor didn't forget about writing the recommendation um so you know it's like merry christmas hello please you've got to write for LBS that's due literally on like Jan 1st so don't forget that so juggling sort of all these elements so over Christmas when it's a quieter time is that it was actually like quite nice myself. yeah great point I was literally mentioning that last week to a candidate oh. and they were like oh yeah we didn't think about that yeah yeah, yeah. So, so you know you don't you wouldn't want to be in a situation where you're like sending an email and then it's like oh I'm out of office till January it's like that's great but I need you to write like literally a massive recommendation which is not trivial right there's a lot of text in that as well like they will need to look at examples you know one thing i would always suggest you know with recommendations and it's one thing that i did before i left to go to southeast asia when i was applying was obviously you know you shouldn't write your recommendation but you can be smart right like so i said to my recommender like this is the type of story that this is my why lbs why mba why now these are the projects that, that you and i have been involved in uh, what which ones do you think would have some great examples that ties into my story right so you can definitely have those conversations with your recommender to just guide them because otherwise you know, they might not be it might be their first time recommending someone for like an MBA they might not know even like how to approach it so help yourself there as well yeah no that's a great point I just had a candidate say their recommender was worried and they had to check in with HR if it's okay for them to right. make a yeah, recommendation yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah oh. awesome and um, so Giri one tip you mentioned was alright put yourself in a different zone altogether right as you're looking to answer the essays in general what other advice do you have for applicants who are looking to approach their essays? Sure. I think like one thing you really need to do is to really be authentic and introspective. I think authenticity is key and keep in your mind like how you're coming across and being sort of authentic. So whenever you're sort of writing a component of your essays, think like, would I actually say that? Don't overthink it too much, frankly. Like I really, when I was writing my essays, didn't think about, oh, is this what the school would want to hear? I was more thinking about, well, actually, this is how I would genuinely answer this question. This is genuinely how like people responded to me sort of doing the MBA this is genuinely why like what excites me about sort of LBS so making sure you're always authentic and not falling into the trap of oh have I covered these stories and these stories and have I demonstrated what LBS is quote looking for generally doesn't work it's like be authentic uh, and that itself will help you just one question on that Kiri right we hear that a lot right be authentic be yourself would it at all be possible for you to make that a little bit more real for somebody who has no idea about MBA applications. Yeah, so I think like it really starts from talking to people. So if you think about the way some of the key questions that you can answer instead of the LBS application, why MBA, why LBS, why now? A lot of people miss out why now, by the way, that very few people can answer that constructively, like cohesively. The way you get perspectives on that is by talking to people. So attending events, interacting with students, interacting with alumni, uh, talking to them about sort of their journey, like where they came from, what elements of the MBA they use and where they got. And trying to see 
like where which pieces interest you and genuinely sort of interest you right because there's a lot going on at play at, at RBS and you know everyone's not going to write everything there so for me it was about interacting with the community and picking out the elements that truly spoke to me so for example i didn't write like the generic oh i'm interested in the gbe london cap etc if i didn't really believe in that so i think a lot of that authenticity comes from talking to people and by the way that's not only current students and alumni i'd encourage people to actually talk to their colleagues as well at work you know if it's okay like i know that can get a bit political etc talk to your friends what do they actually think about your journey and actually that will make you think in a very different way so i think the key one to authenticity is almost like it's easier said than done but right from the heart uh, and and actually i would ignore the word count start with and that's exactly what i did i was like let's forget the word count forget the structure if i was to answer this question i was just like talking to someone what would i genuinely write ignoring the construct of the application write that first and then you can tweak it to be more lbs ish and like specific etc and obviously cut down to sort of the 500 words and i think that really key there is a balance to that though like we're not looking for uh, this isn't a creative storytelling exercise because you'll have a lot of time to talk in the interviews so we really want that to think answers to, to put across what you're doing professionally what where lbs fits in and so on but actually taking that time at the start to just write a story about yourself it's almost like writing a book about yourself do that and then you can actually see oh i actually didn't realize that i was thinking about it that way and you definitely think about things in a very very different perspective and in that one i'd say also nothing is off the table so you know i i was speaking to an applicant like a couple of weeks ago and she was like hey i love skating is this relevant it's like i don't know you tell me like think about it a bit deeper right what do you think about when you skate like do you reflect on your life is it therapeutic for you do you relax etc does it enable you to think about your problems as you're like skating around is it competitive so there's so many dimensions to even seemingly trivial things and a lot of that is about getting different perspectives super helpful thanks giri so authenticity is the main key that you have for the absolutely experience. Yeah. Okay, super. And LBS also has a 500 word optional essay, right? Yeah. which is like totally open-ended. So, what are the kind of things that applicants can talk about in the optional essay apart from extenuating circumstances? Firstly, the optional essay is optional. So, you know, you don't have to sort of do it. I would use the optional essay carefully, right? Things not to do is it is not an extension of the primary essay because if it was, we'd have made the primary essay a thousand words. I mean, like so make sure you're not like just adding another laundry list of things that uh, are answering the question in the primary essay answer the prime answer the questions in the primary essay in the primary essay the optional essay is really a sort of an opportunity to talk about whatever it is that you want you know we talked about being authentic right so talk about something that really sort of speaks to you maybe it sparks your journey maybe it's something really interesting that you've done that you're really really passionate about and try it, that ties you uh, into that sort of mba journey so use that opportunity if you if you want to to really showcase an, another data point right like if you want to and if you have it etc don't write something for the sake of it as well a lot of people i know sometimes it's like oh actually i've got a great location and i've used up examples littered across etc and the option essay can sometimes tend towards they're like oh i don't know what to do so shall i expand on this story and i always say to people like be very careful on that because you don't want it to come across as like again this isn't a creative writing exercise etc right so and the application is read holistically remember examples 
ones that you used before, you don't want to like just rehash them again and again and again in like the option essay. So use it very carefully, but don't feel you have to use it. Regardless, if you do use it, make sure your application still reads holistically and does not overlap. So it needs to be sort of exclusive like that. Awesome. Thanks, Giri. And Giri, to the extent that you're able to share this, right? What are those one or two stories that allowed you to shine in the application process, you know, where you were able to show your leadership and teamwork? I think a lot of my sort of stories at Deutsche Bank and sort of my career, like one of the key skills that I really want to articulate into the application, you know, I had some great examples of this, was getting stuff done with limited resource, right? And I think that was really key because, you know, in my professional career, it's a large sort of matrix organization and actually the impact that I created was actually less about like the project delivery and more about actually making stuff happen, even though I was relatively junior and with very limited sort of resource. And ironically, that is exactly what happened in my time at LBS as well. I was student and very limited resource. So actually demonstrating that skill, I think for me was really, really important in the application because it's something that I really enjoyed doing, right? And I actually thrive in those kind of environments where, you know, it's very constrained, but how can you sort of innovate and create impact in an environment that is in a, in a large scale organization like Deutsche Bank, obviously like Matrix, lots of resource constraints, lots of time pressure. How do you handle all that and still create impact? And I had some very, very clear stories that demonstrated actually, even though I had all sort of the disadvantages, less time, less resource, etc., I was still able to create impact. And, and that was really, really key in elevating application to the next level, because what does that tie into? It ties into student-led impact, which is one thing that I think is so important and that someone like LBS, right? And I knew it was really important at LBS. So I was like, look, guys, even to the fact that I have a thousand things going on, I'm still going to be able to create impact for life. And that was a key element of a lot of my stories. It was all about how can I create impact given very limited resources and, you know, not ha- being handed things on a plate. As authentic as it gets, right? As we can see yeah. from the impact you're creating now. Awesome. Really helpful, Giri. And Giri, in terms of identifying your anecdotes, was it just like brainstorming, like you were talking about it earlier, just like when you opened up those application portals? Or was it also like talking to other people who helped you remind yourself what all you had done? Yeah, it was a mix. So actually, when I first started sort of applying, I knew I needed like a nice collection of stories that would be useful, right? So I actually just created a very simple Excel that had situation, task, action, response on sort of the column heading and I literally listed out all of my examples that I could think of chronologically and wrote it in that format situation task action response so it was super clear MBA LBS aside great way to prep for fit interviews frankly as well so generally in life <laughs> I thought that was it's something that I actually did uh, you know in my interview for Sky as part of the prep you know situation task action response all my stories that was really good because it forces you to be introspective but also forces you to have a structure right so you're not making up stories that don't make sense because you need to fill in situation task action response. So one of the things I did actually also to starting my essay, so also like downloaded application, I literally used to do, uh, add in like a couple of examples a day. So I used to come home and just think of like one example and continue building to that Excel. A couple of weeks, you end up with like 15, 20 examples, and then you can correlate that with sort of the application, start your sort of bullet points, and then immediately you've actually got quite a nice structured way to start approaching sort of the application, right? Because you, you know yourself sort of the story. So when you're writing the essay, you're not like, hmm, 
what should I write? You actually have a bank of almost ready material that you've already think thought about in isolation. And frankly, that is very good prep for interviews. Like again, MBA aside, very good prep for interviews in general to have that sort of upfront structure. So for me, it was about creating that upfront structure, filling that in, and then actually not relating that at all to the MBA application, using that as like a more of a career tool and then leveraging those examples, obviously, wherever it was needed in the MBA application. Yeah, super go star, right? Love the star approach. Yeah. All right, Giri, we touched upon this very briefly that the LBS application has a bunch of questions as well, right? Yeah. I believe there's some six to eight questions, which are not really necessarily short form questions. Like there's something on responsibilities, activities, international experience, and like a bunch of other questions. So what guidance can you offer to applicants in approaching those? So I think the first thing is like, they are as important as the sort of the essays, right? A lot of people do the essays first and then, you know, the mad rush in like last week in December, power through like the short form questions, it's not going to really work out, right? Like treat them as essays, frankly, of the same importance as the essays, because the short form questions are very introspective and they actually test your authenticity, I think, which is why I love like the LBS application. I was speaking to so many people in round one and they were like, actually, regardless of the result, I actually learned quite a lot about myself just doing the process, which is exactly how it should be. So you have questions like, what is your most significant international experience? My favorite question in the entire application, I'd say every year, is always like, what did your friends and family, who did you discuss your MBA with and what was the response? Was it like absolute shock or like, did people actually think it was a good idea? Love that kind of question. So those questions really test your sort of authenticity and really sort of help answering from the heart in those questions, right? And that's really key. So treat them as important as the actual sort of essay. I think that's really key. Use that opportunity again to have different examples that don't overlap, right? The application's read as one, so it's not like there's a CV, there's an essay, and then these questions are like kind of on the side. It's an integral part of the application. So you need to think about examples throughout. And when you're answering them, think about what you actually learned from those experiences, right? You might describe your most significant significant international experience. What does it mean? Like, what did you learn? Like, how will you take that forward? There's questions around like, I think 300 or 400 word question around, who did you talk to at LBS? And if you think about it, like, you know, a lot of people ask me, it's like, oh, do I need to talk to like 20, 25 people so I can fill in all those words? It's like, well, think about it. It's like, what is the point? We're much more interested in who you talk to. What did you think, right? Like everyone has different journeys here. Like, what did you think? What was interesting about like their experience? How did that inform your sort of own journey, etc.? And qualify it. So, you know, don't network for the sake of networking, but actually interact with our students and alumni for the sake of learning about sort of the school. And, and that's really, really key. So don't try and fill up the space with unauthentic stuff. Actually be introspective and think about it sort of authentically. Those questions are much harder than people realize. I think they're actually quite back being reflective and then answering the question rather than trying to like jump to writing from the start. No, thanks for that, Giri. And Giri, you touched upon the fact that you spoke to students, alumni, you attended events. Yeah. So how many events did you attend and how many people did you speak to before you applied? Uh, honestly, like it was only sort of three or four folks. And then I attended sort of the open day at the time, which was sort of in person. It really depends, right? It, like I felt that through those conversations, I had a very clear idea of what the school was about, where I could add impact, what the value proposition was, frankly, etc. And that was it. Again, I didn't network for the sake of networking. I'm busy. Like I was working full time, right? So I didn't go and like, oh, I must attend like 10 events. It was irrelevant for me. So I attended the 
the events I needed to, spoke to some people, you know, with some great conversation, alumni from sort of various years as well, actually, to sort of get their perspective on life as a student, life as an alum, etc. And sort of went from there because I was more focused on making sure that every conversation I had with someone about LBS would spark some thoughts in me that would enhance my sort of viewpoint and perspective of the school, right? So I was always making sure that I learned something new that wasn't just on sort of the website, etc. So that was kind of my metric to talking to people rather than, oh, I need to talk to like 10 people to fill up one essay question. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And networking is often an alien concept for Indian applicants, right? Because a lot of times their admission is based on just pure grades. I'm just wondering, how can applicants prepare to make better use of the time they have with students and alumni? Yeah, sure. I think like really think about sort of a very quick pitch that you've got, right? So it might be like a five minute sort of intro, who you are, why you're interested in LBS, what you kind of want from the conversation, research the alumni um, that you're talking to, right? So they're on LinkedIn, so you can ask them straight away like questions about sort of the data journey. So it might be like, hey, you know, you used to run the tech and media club. So how was that? Like, how was that collaboration with like students or the school? And I think those conversations are always great. And, you know, from an alumni standpoint, they're really interesting when people have done sort of the research. And it's actually a much better use of everyone's time, right? A lot of people come up to me and if anyone asks like, oh, what did you do at LBS? I was like, well, there's literally like thousands of articles on that topic, whereas some of the best conversations are almost like, oh, you know, you pivoted from sort of finance to sort of the tech side. What resources did you use to actually sort of do that? Exactly. Like very nice point question. They know the background. They've done a bit of homework, right? So again, it goes back to being authentic. Show interest in them and interest in sort of their journey and see them as like a means to an end of, oh, if I talk to you, I'll be able to write your name on sort of the application and therefore it's like a tick in the box, right? So try and veer away from that and just generally have sort of an interesting conversation because once you're at the school, you'll be having those conversations daily. This is the thing, right? And so it's actually really key to sort of build up to those skills at the start. And the other thing that I'd say is in these interactions, make it a balanced conversation. Like sometimes so many folks focus on like just the academics or just like careers, etc. You know, not every interaction needs to be about getting good grades or finding a job, right? You can actually have fun, shock horror in the program, etc. So be all-rounded as well and come across all-rounded. And that goes to like the application as well. So, you know, I'd speak to many people, especially, you know, that the people say, like, oh, I'm from sort of an overrepresented background. Like, how can I stand out? My grades you know, are really good, etc. But I don't know what to do. It's like, well, if you think about it, you go back to our previous point on finding different data points, right? Grades themselves are just one data point. So if that's your only dimension that you're putting across the application, what can admissions really do? That's the only thing you're offering as a data point, right? Like, so they have to compare you directly in terms of grades. Whereas if you're able to craft like really nice all-rounded and all-rounded application with loads of different examples, talking to sort of alumni, talking to sort of students, finding out what the school is about, then actually everyone, regardless of background, can stand out by being authentic. And I think that's really key. Super helpful. And Giri, how much do student or alumni referrals matter? I mean, it depends. I hate to say this word again and again, but it depends on how authentic it is, right? So don't just ask alumni and pest them for referrals, even if you don't really like know them, right? Like, for example, for me, I only write recommendations if I've literally worked with the applicant for months and months, right from the start, because then I really, really like know them. We're pretty much friends. So, you know, I know the, about their life, what they do, and I've been with them right from sort of the start, right? And those are obviously the best conversations. Like, I don't just recommend people just because they've spoken to me like one off in an event or something, right? So again, be authentic, build those sort of relationships. It's by no means necessary, like as well, right? It's again, another data point. So, you know, if an alum, the conversations I have with people are probably very different from what they had in their like professional life, right? So the folks I recommended this time, I've actually, some of them I've known 
been for like a year and a half, actually. So, you know, when we think about, oh, yes, we're alumni, but I've known them right from the start, have almost followed their professional journey. We've spoken so much about sort of LBS, so they've been almost part of that journey. Goes back to my point earlier about pretend you're a student and you're not a student, immerse yourself, right? And those are always like the best. So it's by no means like a requirement, except whoever does your recommendation, make sure they're authentic about it as well, right? There's no point in, I never say to like admissions, like, oh, I recommend this person. I will never actually say that. What I will actually say is, you know, over the last literally year and a half or like six or eight months, I've had a great relationship with this person. I think they're really good for LBS, one, two, three, four, five, like why they're really good. And then obviously that admissions has another data point. It's just another data point. It's not more important than anything else. It's just another data point. But thinking about it that way, I think is really, really helpful. And, and don't stress about it as well, right? I actually had no alumni recommendations when I applied, right? It's just how it is. It's fine. It's all about sort of different perspectives and data points in your application. Yeah, makes sense. And Giri, LBS's interview process is distinct from other schools, right? In that it's yeah. longer, there's a case study as part of the interview. So yeah. can you share how candidates can prepare to excel in their LBS interview? So to sort of touch on the interview, firstly, interviews is a lot of fun and actually like took me completely off guard. So my interview was done in Pret in Baker Street. <laughs> so, you know, because my interview was like, was coming from McKinsey and he's like, you know what, I just desperately need like coffee and like a lunch, except So uh, yeah, it was just that sort of prep in Baker Street. So very, very fun. And the interview lasted like forever. I felt it lasted forever. It's like two, two to three hours because we had such a great conversation. But why are our interviews like that? It's because the way to think about interviews is just frankly like a great conversation about LBS, your passion for the school, like what you want to get out of sort of the MBA, your background, your motivation, and a great conversation about business, right? In general, any topic. Because when you join, you're going to be having exactly those conversations every single day in the classroom. So frankly, we want to know whether you can hold your own and that type of conversation, right? And that's the beauty of it. So the interview is not designed to like catch you out. It's actually like a very, very authentic, again, interview. It's just learning more about you, your motivation, having that sort of great conversation. And that extends to sort of the case study, right? So, you know, in terms of preparation, I think the first thing is to actually reread your application. A lot of people seem to forget that. And then they start doing stupid things like uh, getting some numbers wrong or not quite being sure in their mind of like the examples that they literally wrote about a couple of months before, right? So reread all your applications, all your answers, your CV, etc. Have a few examples that are new, that are not in your application, right? A lot of people always ask me, like, oh, but you know, I only applied in for round one, I only applied in September and interviews already in late October. It's like, well, to be honest, like at LBS, our students are creating impact very, very quickly, right? Like every month you should have new stuff. That's just the nature of our students. So bringing sort of perspectives that aren't also, you know, in the written form of, of sort of the application as well. And in the case study, just really think about, you know, a couple of things. I think firstly, like make sure you're structured in sort of thought. It's not like a pure consulting case study, just to be clear. It's more of like a conceptual case study. So you'll be presented with sort of a situation and you'll be asked to deliver sort of a structured, you know, mini presentation or your thought around it there. So, you know, nothing to stress about, nothing that you need like industry specific knowledge of. A lot of people ask like, oh, is it going to be on my industry? It's like, you know, it doesn't have to be actually. And people get very scared. It's like, but why are you scared? Literally every class has different cases and different sectors. And you're going to be doing this in the classroom, right? Like in my courses, I've been like barons of trade unions. I've been running oil companies. <laughs> I've been doing random stuff, literally not been doing sort of before and, and different industries that I haven't been exposed to before. So really sort of think about the how you're solving problems and not sort of the end answer, right? So structured thinking, think really, really key into the interview. Relax and just have a conversation about business, right? And bring your perspective. And that's really like the key in the interviews. Because if you imagine if everyone's sitting on the fence, a case discussion isn't really going to go forward.
forward, right, in a classroom. So when sort of in these interviews, bring a perspective and a viewpoint that's grounded in your sort of own experiences, etc., um, and discuss that with the interviewer. It might not be correct, but sometimes there is no right answer to some of these cases, right? There are very often isn't. It's just about different ways of approaching business. And we just want to know, can you do that? Do you enjoy doing that? And what are your real sort of motivations? And really deep dive into your motivations about sort of joining LBF and sort of the MBA as well. So I think, again, the interviews really don't overthink it. Make sure you really know your story. Think about sort of structured thinking. Have the broader perspective of bringing what you learn from your industry into other industries. And yeah, have a great conversation. I'd also say a very, very simple tip in the interviews. That first impression starts even before you interview. So the way that interviews work is that, you know, people get invited to interviews. And then we have a great like matching process, actually, that matches sort of interviewers, interviewees to alumni are in sort of the same region or have they've got something in common, right? Typically. And so that's great as an icebreaker that you can look up who your interviewer is. And you know, going back to sort of authentic conversations with students and alumni, be interested in sort of the interviewer as well, I think is really, really sort of key. And then you will be asked to coordinate the interview yourself, which I think is great, right? So first impressions, right? Like you know, you're going to be like emailing an alum who you don't know before. It's a cold email. You're going to have to coordinate calendars. You're going to have to coordinate timing. Again, guess what? You're going to be doing that every day in the MBA, right? So even getting that basic first step right and being on it and coordinating it correctly is such a simple way to make a really good sort of first impression as well. Yeah, that's a great point, Giri. And Giri, if you're able to answer this, what's the evaluation criteria for interviews or the overall admissions process? I mean, again, it's all about sort of data points, right? So the interview is an important component. It is one component. So if you think about sort of how applicants are evaluated sort of after interviews, like the whole thing is collated together, right? So you've got all these components. So think of the amount of data points that the admissions have. They've got recommendation. They've got sort of the application. You've got the essay, the short answer questions. You'll typically do sort of a video component as well, a couple of questions, part of sort of the interview process. And then you've got an alumni interview who will write write up their own notes, etc. So it's reviewed very holistically. So it's, it's you know hard to have a very clear answer into exactly like which dimension is going to tip the scales because people will do well in certain elements, people will do well in other elements, and ultimately it's all holistically evaluated. And thinking about that, I think is really really key when you're applying, right? Like it's holistic. So try not to over-index time into one element of that application. There's no point spending 90% of your time on your CV if you're not answering the short answer questions well. There's no point spending 100% of your time on your essays if actually the CV structure is isn't great and it, you're repeating yourself all the time, etc. So thinking about it that way, I think is very helpful. Cool. All right. With that, uh, Giri, I would like to move to some LBS-specific questions. Yeah. Yes. So, Giri, we hear that the LBS program is very flexible. So, how does the program's flexibility translate into opportunities for students? Sure. LBS is so flexible and almost to a very strange degree. And I, I always found it quite amusing. So, say I wanted to do a class, right? So, I could do a class in the same course. I can choose to do in various different formats. I could do it over 10 weeks. I could do it over five weeks. I could do it over intense, like block week that we call it period. If I'm really hardcore, I could do it on Saturdays. I could do it every other Friday, which find amusing, you can do it on evenings only, etc. So, and that's the same course, right? So, if you imagine like how much control over your calendar that gives you, that's that's insane, right? So, I made sure that I really leveraged that. So, I did a mix of like block week, um, some evening classes, which are like starts at seven pm, etc. So, I can fit things like home time internships, the club activities, all around that. And I think you're in so much control of your own calendar that it's really sort of up you. Um, I really took that to an extreme, to be honest. 
So for example, I ended up doing sort of multiple internships in term time because I deliberately leveraged the flexibility of the program, right? So, you know, in my second term of the first year, for example, I chose classes so that I'd be at LBS on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, there was nothing. Thursday, Friday, I could work part-time. Done for three months. Awesome. Then, you know, over the summer, I knew I wanted to get as much experience as possible through summer internships. So I did two summer internships. And again, you leverage the flexibility of the course. So I did a couple of block weeks to make sure that I had all my credits in June and then actually was away from campus all the way till mid-October and then did block weeks to catch up and then back into normal, right? So actually June to October, I was able to do back-to-back summer internships in like the first year. So the flexibility means that you can really control your calendar because you can do the same course in multiple different sort of options and really encourage sort of students to leverage that and make sure that leveraging their time adequately as a result. Amazing. And Giri, term time internships being internships you're doing while you're studying as well, right? Just for yeah. our listeners who may not be familiar with that. Yeah, exactly. So I think term time internships are so important because if I look to see like what is the point of the MBA, like very macro, for me, it was very clear. It was like, I wanted to make sure that my CV at the end of the two years could demonstrate that I could create impact, whatever the sector, whatever the industry, whatever the geography and whatever stage of a company's growth. So I made sure all my internships were very different. They were not in the same industry. They were completely unrelated because I wanted all those perspectives, right? And the school actively encourages sort of term time internships. So you apply like through the career center, which you know surprises people. It's like structured in a way. So you apply through the career center, all these opportunities through the career center, or obviously you can do them sort of yourself. And then, you know, you negotiate. You're like, hey, look, I have classes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I'll work Thursday, Friday, like or whatever it is. So that's done while you're studying and, and doing classes. But obviously you control when you do classes, starting from like the second term of the first year. So it's not as hard to balance as you might think if you controlled your calendar well. Right. And I don't know if you'd be aware of it, but are these opportunities also available to international students with the visa status and whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. So I believe international students can work up to 20 hours a week during term time. You'd be struggling to find time to do more than that anyway, because if you think about it, 20 hours is actually like quite a lot. That's two and a half days almost, right? Which frankly, you probably won't be able to do given all the stuff that's going on. So typically like, yeah, international students is a great way to, again, get experience within sort of the visa constraints as well of like that 20 hours a week. Okay, super helpful. And what's block week exactly? If you could also explain that briefly for our listeners. So uh, just a bit of like housekeeping to start with. So every elective at LBS is typically like 10 sessions and each session is two hours and 45 minutes. So that's like a course, right? And that course, as I mentioned earlier, can be done in multiple different types of iterations. So you can do 10 weeks, which basically means I do one session a week, five weeks or two sessions a week, et cetera, et cetera. A block week is basically where you do two sessions a day over five days. So really, really intense, right? So you're literally there from like morning to evening. You do sort of the morning class, which is 8.15 to 11. And then the afternoon class, like 12.45 to 3.30. So you're there like the whole week and it's very, very intense. So, you know, you're together, you're doing group projects in sort of the middle. Like It's a very accelerated way of learning. The content is the same. So it's just compressed. And sometimes those can get very intense. If you imagine a lot of the classes are very case-based, very simulation-based, there's a lot of prep to do. So you find actually that block week can actually be quite tough, etc. especially if you have sort of any assignments and exams that are due straight after sort of the block week. But it's a great way to have an accelerated sort of learning pathway to make sure that you complete sort of an elective, um, you know, if you're doing sort of other stuff, etc. One thing which folks may not realize is sometimes the school offers opportunities to do block weeks in other LBS campuses, such as Dubai, for example. So, you know, you, you might do like a block week in Dubai, so it's like Dubai for a week. There's many ways that you can leverage sort of block week there, but it is quite intense. Yeah, 
sounds like a really helpful thing. And this is available for a few electives, I'm guessing, right? A blogger is actually quite a few electives, to be honest. Like it's not every single course, but a significant proportion of electives will have sort of blocky versions of them, etc. So it's not just a few, actually. Understood, understood. Super helpful. And Giri, given there are three exit options out of the London MBA, right? 15 months, 18 months and 21 months. How can students determine which option would be best for their needs? You know, what are some considerations? So I think the first thing is from an application standpoint, it doesn't really matter. You don't need to decide on that anywhere up front, to be honest. So even when you join, so the way that exit points work is the school sends you a survey at each of those points saying, hey, did you meet the requirements and do you want to graduate? And you answer like yes or no. It's literally that simple. So it's not like those on 15 months are following a separate program to those on 18, following a separate program to those on 21. Everyone is doing the same program and has access to sort of the same opportunities. So it's just in 15 months, it's very condensed, right? So, you know, we talk about sort of time management in your calendar. You're probably going to end up doing a lot of courses simultaneously. If you want to fit in things like exchange, you're going to have to do the exchange in like the autumn term, except GBE, global experiences, etc. Any sort of global experience, you might have to do one that's a bit earlier and go to sort of the locations that are offered earlier because you also need to graduate in 15 months. So it depends sort of on personal circumstances, right? And it's very individual and the school know that, which is why the school don't force you to decide that because you might find that, you know, when you join, you need a bit more time to sort of explore stuff, etc. So you might want to do 21 months or you might want to do a longer international exchange now i know folks for example who did international exchange at berkeley and berkeley has a very long exchange which is like four months so they're like oh i want to do 21 months because my way for so long etc and so on others you know like sponsored consultants or folks and family businesses are like oh no no i just need like the core skill set of the mba and then go back to sort of my business etc so that might be category for 15 months it's really individual but the great news is you don't need to worry about that literally until right at the last second and regardless the school doesn't differentiate between these three exit points in terms of opportunities that you have thank you Giri and Giri what are the flagship events through the year that you would want prospective applicants to really know about like maybe two or three sure I think like it's actually very hard to sort of answer that because it's just changing so much year on year right because the program is sort of very very dynamic some of sort of the key standouts to me is definitely sort of you know tattoo is one example right where any event that brings like the whole community together and has that sort of cross-cultural sort of element. So tattoo is typically done in the spring, you know, bringing that together, massive sort of event on sort of campus, which is sort of amazing. Great summer ball as well, etc. on sort of the social side there as well. Um, obviously, a lot of people take the opportunity at LBS to sort of travel, etc. in Europe, a lot of cheap flights, etc. So, you know, a lot of people like travel, so on. But I'd also say like that isn't actually the be all and end all. I think one of the beauties of LBS is that there are no like, quote, oh, I must do this to get the most out of the experience. And I think that's really, really a key point, right? Because it goes back to my earlier point. There's so much you can do and get out of the experience with limited additional, zero additional spending and no resource. Going back to my point, creating impact with no resource. You can do that, right? And you'll have an amazing sort of experience. It's some of my best experiences at LBS are actually the much more sort of casual, right? Where just sort of groups of us chatting together, going around London, attending events, you know, going on trip, day trips from London and so on. So don't feel, I'd encourage applicants not to feel 
like pressurized that they have to do like I must attend this event or I will not get the most out of this experience it really doesn't happen here because there's just too much to do frankly I feel like every week the class is doing something random <laughs> so you know following your own footsteps and following your sort of own journey but certainly like tattoo the summer ball are like fantastic events I think the global experience itself you know is just adds sort of another layer and a different sort of perspective there's some of the electives as well which have sort of an international slant again are great there and rem always remember you have London at your doorstep right so you know whether that's interacting with industry whether that's interacting with sort of culture and sort of the social scene a lot of that is literally at your sort of doorstep there I know like a lot of folks actually you know, given like cost of living etc are worried that you know they'll come to LBS and actually love to spend like thousands to make the most out of the experience but I really don't think that's the case and that's coming from a year in our year where most of the course is actually virtual online given COVID and yet it's really evident to see how much I got out of the program and that I think is the best example Frank of you know the truth in what I'm saying right like you can get so much out of the program without spending anything extra and I think that's really key to think about in terms of events and in terms about planning your journey super helpful Giri and Giri given how embedded you were in the tech ecosystem and you know you got your job in tech as well can you share about tech recruiting and the most salient resources for tech recruiting at LBS sure so I think the first thing to know is like the career center is a fantastic sort of resource at LBS and what really surprised me and surprised a lot of people is that the career center is very one-to-one -one. so you know you might think like ah oh, business school so you know it'll all be like you know, they obviously need to cover like hundreds of people so it's all group actually no you book career coaching and sessions one-to-one -one. that shocked me when I first joined Frank I was like oh okay so literally David Morris who's the head of tech careers you can book one-to-one -one. like it's not in a group it's not like generic it's literally one-to-one -one where you can go through your journey go through your CV target specific companies and work together on sort of crafting that sort of journey and that happens for every sector right so Daniel Lay fantastic guy like looking after the consulting sort of career center etc so and the career center is split up into sort of the sector specific folks as well as more general folks that sit horizontally and you can have one-to-ones with all of them right as well as peer sessions you know where it's like group mock interview practice or peer CV reviews so there's a whole host of personalized resources in the career center which frankly surprised me to be honest I, I expect it to be much more generic right but actually it's like oh you know I send my CV to David he literally like you know we go through and say like okay this is how I think you should articulate this opportunity for sort of tech recruiting etc and that's how it sort of works and even recruiting itself a lot of this is obviously you have companies like coming to campus that are on campus recruiting but that I think is really like a small piece of the puzzle like sometimes the best opportunities are those you know that the career center sort of promote sort of internally right so I, we talked about sort of term time internships before but also full-time roles that are on sort of the open market they're all promoted sort of through the career center and this is where you really leverage the alumni network right and I think the alumni network is fantastic and, and has like a huge investment in its current students all the time you know we interview people like obviously we work very closely with sort of the school as well so like we have a vested interest in sort of giving back and that's how I got my role at Guy actually so you know I saw this role I went to David and say like hey this is a great role what do you think like we thought hey actually that is a really good fit and then you know do we know anyone at the organization most in nearly all cases we probably do given sort of the, the scale of the network I reached out to them again using the techniques of you know reaching out to alumni right like having that pitch being authentic all the usual stuff that we talked about as an applicant the alumni like built that relationship with them referred me to the role and, and here we are so I think like there's a huge amount of resource that the career center put in to sort of recruiting and then on the tech side of course specifically this is something that I was working on over the last two years has been sort of very fundamental sort of my journey at LBS what I was really able to do in collaborating with sort of Helen who's the MBA program director and sort of the school is to also 
cover the academic side of that to make sure that our students have the skills needed and whether that's sort of data fluency through courses such as like SQL, Tableau and Power BI to sort of paint a story with data and storytell with data to make sure that data fluency skill was there as well as building out a, a new concentration in technology and analytics which you know was absolutely fantastic and we actually just launched um, sort of a new tech at LBS website to, the, to sort of showcase that and that to me is sort of fantastic right because when we talk about the resources of the school to help you your number one resource is as you can see your other students and your peers because they will create opportunities for you you will create opportunities for them alumni will interact with you and work with you the career center will help you personally the program itself will give you the technical skill set to make it happen so you've actually got a very very holistic like value proposition whatever the sector that you've got and all of this is underpinned by like you know things like the student clubs track conferences and events that you can also be a part of so there's such a huge amount of things going on that is not just siloed to sort of one area but i'd say one thing that really surprised me was that it was so personal and it was so one-to-one like i was quite shocked actually that you can just book like one-to-ones with like the the head of tech careers or consulting careers or finance careers etc and it's not sort of a generic oh let's get like all 300 people interested in finance and talk about careers in finance not like that so which i think is really cool super impressive and giddy before we switch gears to academics which you were touching upon right would you happen to know which tech employers sponsor visas for international students i know it's a very specific question yeah it, it really sort of depends to be honest a lot of sort of the large companies who would typically sponsor visas like amazon for example who hire into our launch hire into their launch program uh, you know take a huge host of sort of mba students there so typically like a lot of the big tech companies obviously that situation is on a case-by-case basis sometimes and, and changes so it's quite fluid i would say i remember that students can take the two-year like graduate visa that means that you know you can actually have the right to work for two years post-graduation and a lot of people have leveraged that for example to work in startups etc you may not have the resources sort of company sponsorship right from the start so there's still a whole host of opportunity through that that route understood and giri switching gears to academics can you share the academic highlights for you during your mba at lbs you know which courses did you enjoy the most who were your favorite professors yeah sure i think one of my favorite courses and i talk about this course a lot actually and i talk in this course every year like as an alum um is digital for impact so rajesh chandi and, and kostas markeda so digital for impact was a course that i think i'm very proud of because i worked with the school in, in sort of helping them with that as well and it was you know fantastic to interact with faculty and I, i literally like last week i did my i think the third time i've come back as an alum and did done a sort of a session in the course so digital for impact is all about bringing together teams of students across sort of mba executive mba etc and in teams of five or six and then you basically act as a digital consultant for an sme a small and medium enterprise in an emerging market so our group of five people work with zente which is a scale-up fintech scale-up in uganda for two months you just think of that like just on its own it's just so out there right and i think all the products are like that so it's fantastic because it really collated all sort of the technical elements of the mba and enabled me to actually apply that in a very experiential concept every single course at lbs is very experiential in nature so it's always about what have you learned that we can actually use outside of the classroom in industry not only in london but across the world and digital for impact enabled us to to actually do that so it's fantastic we work with the client for like two months they had a very specific problem to solve in terms of they wanted to know where their business model should be focused so we came in and we talked about how technology can help them solve that particular problem came up with sort of a recommendation that they eventually sort of implemented so 
using all sort of the elements of that program, right? That, what I've just said, includes elements of communication, stakeholder management, consulting skill, strategy skill, finance, accounting, marketing, like all of these elements. So I thought that was certainly sort of one highlight. The other two courses that I would really call out, Creativity in Business by Richard Heitner, was like a fantastic course as well, because it really taught me the power of sort of different perspectives, because the course literally starts with the professor going, you know, you know how in like consulting interviews, your McKinsey interview or Bade or BCG interview or whatever starts with, your client is a company, you know, in the steel industry or whatever, right? So that's typically how it starts. So this course started off with, your client is a swarm of bees, like bees, like the animal, right? And I was like, what is going on here? And the whole point of the course was like to think about different perspectives, right? And be creative. So it's about, oh, your client is bees. You know, they're very upset because they can't sting people because of COVID and everyone's stuck indoors. So how do you solve that problem? And it was just so amazing because it's like you're immediately put way out of your comfort zone, right? But you have to come up with a really creative, strategic approach to that problem. And I thought it was just such a brilliant example of how a slight shift in focus can really, you know, grow, create sort of a, a fantastic learning opportunity. So creativity in business. Sorry, I'm going to add one more course of the list because I really enjoyed these two courses. Paths to Power is another like fantastic course. So this is taught by like various faculty, actually. Firstly, the name, I think it's great, like great for branding, like Paths to Power, like <laughs> that makes sense. What I really liked about this course is it, it's practicality. Post MBA, students are typically in middle management roles. They're not the most junior. They're also not the most senior. They're in the middle. And this course is literally all about how you leverage that position to the best of your abilities, right? So it's about how you act as a broker in that sort of middle management to ideate and inspire those who are working for you, but also stakeholder manage and communicate with senior stakeholders and folks above you in sort of the organization. And it was a fantastically practical sort of course, right? Because it's like, oh, this is literally what we're going to be doing once we graduate, right? So I want, you know, I want to understand like the tools and the technique to keep you know, juniors happy, but also keep my senior stakeholders happy. And one of the best ways they did that was they, they split the class into three groups. One group is junior employees, one group's middle management, and one group is the, like exec management. And uh, they put these three groups in different parts of LBS. So exec management were in like the nice building and the nice room. You know, the lower group was like outside somewhere. <laughs> and then middle management was in like a normal lecture. And basically the task was how can you get an idea from lower management to the exec level? And it's such a practical thing because it's something that it, it's so key to do in sort of organizations. So I thought that was great. And then the final course that I think was highlight, uh, was a real highlight for me was negotiation and bargaining. Fantastically practical course. Again, it gets very emotional. And like we had people crying almost <laughs> like in the course because you're just so into it, right? Because you're so into that sort of mindset there. So I was the baron of a trade union for like six to eight weeks, making sure that uh, people got the best working right possible. And then we're up against sort of other government ent entities, et cetera, and the actual like corporation, et cetera, and so on. So another half of the class is the corporation. And then you end up with this sort of multi-level every week, there's a new negotiation that was built on sort of the issues, etc. And and a lot of it is, it's great fun. It's very, very practical. But again, every course at LBS is so practical, right? So even the final assignment in that course is literally, right, take what you've learned and negotiate your final job offer that you got as a result of LBS. And you write about that. So you literally learn the tool, you apply it straight, you write about it. And then also like, you know, the professor like feeds back as to how can you tweak, you know, what you're negotiating to make sure you get the best job offer that you want. So every course, I think like all of these sound like quite sort of esoteric like fun examples you notice how it's actually very experiential and very practical all the way through all the time and i think these four courses were absolutely brilliant as a result super cool thanks for sharing that giri giri as you were 
nearing the end of the conversation, right? You know, I want to ask you now that you're an alum, what was the point of the LBS MPA, right? What was the impact yeah. of this personally and professionally a year into work? So the whole point of the MBA, like for me, is it, it changed how I think. And this is like the key learning outcome, I think, of sort of the MBA. It doesn't teach you what to think. It teaches you how to think. So the way I approach sort of problem solving, the way I inspire and lead team, the way I communicate with people, the way I interact with sort of senior management, the way I prioritize time management, get stuff done. These are not concrete technical skills, but actually a method of problem solving. And I think that is so key. And that to me is sort of the real impact sort of the MBA. It completely changed like how I approach business and how I problem solve and how I think about sort of life and business and sort of general. It's not telling me what to think, it's telling me sort of how to think. And I think that is so, that that perspective is so interesting in, in sort of your career, like in any career, right? Like both personally and professionally, like professionally, I was very fortunate to be actually like promoted straight away, like this year after just a year of working already. And, you know, because like I'm able to do more with less right like we talked about sort of the resource element um, before which has been sort of a key strength throughout sort of my journey there and it's something that I really enjoy doing and, and really enjoy that challenge of doing more with less but that can only be done if you know how to problem solve and have that sort of toolkit and what I also think is really important is I know about how every industry like links together like before if you think about it Deutsche Bank I was only knew about one industry how stuff was done in that industry whereas now even though I'm in the media and like the tech sector I know how stuff is done in consulting. I know how stuff is done in like family businesses. I know how stuff is done in different areas across the world because I've actually done that two years, right? In all of these courses. If I want to run a fintech in Uganda, I know that as well. Like this is the thing, like you get so many different perspectives that you start forming the links between industries so quickly and it just elevates your whole perspective in, and method of problem solving and thinking about sort of business. And I'd say that return on investment, sure, you might not realize it after just a year. And I've been fortunate to like realize the benefit after just a year being you know, getting promoted and so on, but you will certainly realize that sort of throughout. And then all of this is in the context, of course, of such a fantastic like alumni network of lifelong learning, right? So, you know, one of my highlights is in all the work I do with sort of recruitment and admissions, I was actually catching up with Helen, who's the MBA program director, like last week, and I was saying, what's amazing, what I really love is actually, I know MBA 2019, 2020 from when I applied, 2021, which is my own class, 2022, because they were the first years when I was second year, 2023, because I spoke at their orientation, 2024, because I was involved in their recruitment and admission and now 2025. That is a huge network that goes way beyond just my own class, right? And that is there for life. So really sort of thinking about, I really thought about the MBA as just the start, that it's just that two-year starting point of that lifelong personal and professional sort of connection and journey with the school staff and its students. And then you continuously sort of learn new things. You create impact. Every That's why I love like talking to applicants actually because I learn stuff, like I learn new things, right? When I talk, to the folks applying to MBA 2025. They're interesting conversations. People have done like very, very interesting things. And I also take that in my actual work, etc. So actually, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, you do all the recruitment and admission stuff and the LBS involvement on the side. I actually think it's actually integral to my actual day job because of the perspective, the continuous perspectives that I get even a year after graduating. That is so useful to, again, tone and develop how I think and the approach to problem solving. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that, Giri. And Giri, with that, we bring the conversation to a close. And I really, really, really want to thank you for such an authentic conversation. Really, the information which you've shared, it's something, a lot of the things even I didn't know before. So thank you That's so right. very much. Yeah, cool. No worries. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Crack the MBA show. I look forward to seeing you again.
again next week with our next guest. Do not forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you and bye-bye.